Quick, come up with something funny to say. Hello? Yo. Bork. Oh, that's really cool. Somehow I think you're lying. Uh-huh. Oh, fail. Oh. Bad Philosophy, episode 76, recorded on October 24th, 2010. Dalai Lama for reals. Hello everyone, welcome in. One, two, Bad Philosophy, upsetting the balance of reality one rabbit trail at a time. We're back everybody for episode 76, and we've got a couple of your favorites here on the show today. First off, from Oxford, Miami University, Kevin Saunders. Hey there, hi there, ho there. <laughs> Sound a little less enthused, all right, Kevin, please? <laughs> I'll try, no yeah. guarantees. And the second panelist we have today, Kiki Cannon. Hi. <laughs> well, I guess... As excited as I do. We should talk about something, right? Yeah. No, actually, I'm kind of excited about this. Um, so, so, Kevin, I just read the uh, article about the Dalai Lama uh, visiting Miami University. Um, I have to an say, article about it? Yeah. Don't you know about the Miami student? Your your school newspaper? Yeah, our school newspaper is terrible. Like <laughs> you know, it's worse than the Daily Toreador. And uh, and if this article is is any indication, I I would I would have to agree. Um, it really it said it it was almost like a non-issue. Like it, it said a lot, but it didn't really give any indication of what actually happened. It was just like the Dalai Lama was there. They talked about Tibet. And there was a translator and stuff, and some other guys with a tribe and stuff. <laughs> and the Dalai Lama he wore... He barely talked about Tibet, first of all. Really? Oh. Well, I, said, I understand. He said, maybe, he said maybe one thing about Tibet. Um, <laughs> and that's sort of in his introduction. He sort of says, you know, I've got three commitments. Um, my first commitment is as a human being... And so I acknowledge that I'm a human being, and so is everybody else, and so we're all human beings. Whoop-de-doo. Um, but, well, I mean, dude, the man was able to keep a crowd of 10,000 people in absolute rapture and silence. <laughs> He's got a lot going on. Um, I'm, 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 but um, his second commitment is, and I'm, I'm probably going to screw this up, but I think his second commitment was being a Buddhist. I mean, he's a religious person, he's a Buddhist, and that's something he has to, he's committed to. And his third commitment is that he is a citizen of Tibet, and he's concerned about Tibet's situation in the world, things like that. Um, and, like, literally, that's all he said about Tibet. And then he moved on and talked about a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, it was really one thing in a lot of different ways. Um, so he didn't, he barely talked about Tibet, which I think is interesting. So I, I'm curious, Kevin, I mean, you were, you were there, you, uh, you saw him with the, like you said, a, a 10,000 assorted other people. Um, mm -hmm. you know, what, what did he say that, that you kind of took away from it? And, uh, and you know, what, what was it like seeing, you know, the, uh, the preeminent, um, guru <laughs> alive in the world today? Um, I mean. It was an amazing experience, I'll be honest. Um, man has a presence unlike just about anybody I've ever seen before. Uh, I've already said that you know, he managed to keep a group of 10,000 people be quiet for over an hour and a half, um, which I've never seen anybody do anywhere. You know, there, there, people weren't coughing. People weren't like checking their cell phones. He just he's got that presence. Um, and when he talks to you, 
feels like you and him are the only people in the room, and he manages to do that. He manages this extremely conversational sort of situation where he's just talking to you, like you're maybe in a room of five people instead of ten thousand. Wow. Um, now, I mean, he, he did have not, a translator, his, though, I mean, so, yeah, it, so it wasn't his words, but it was through this this guy. Well, no, he, I'll, I'll explain that. I'll explain that to you in just a minute. Well, right now, I'll explain it because he did. He had a translator, but he spoke in English the entire time. Well, okay. um, the translator's job was to help well, no, the, the translator's job such as it was, was to help him if he couldn't figure out a word um, so he'd, he'd, co- he'd go along, he'd be talking he'd kind of pause for a second, the translator would say you know, a word and he'd say, yeah, that's the word, and he would say that word so he spoke English huh. um, mind you, it was heavily accented to bad English, but I understood him, um, and uh, the, the translator who was there was literally there to to help him speak English, not to help us understand him. Cool. Um, so he was talking to me. There was no, the translator was off camera most of the time. I say off camera because I was looking at the big screen more often than I was looking at the actual guy sitting there. Um, although I was split about halfway between. But he was, the Dalai Lama spoke English because he can, apparently. Yeah. So, so and, what did he say in English, Kevin? <laughs> Um, well, I'm not going to do it justice because it's it's one of those things that it sounds really, really simple, and it is in a lot of ways. But his general message was one of compassion, one of acknowledging that we are people in this world and that we have to be here with everybody else, and that there is an inherent, um, you know, duty almost to be nice to each other. He goes, you know, it's, it's something beyond religion, um, beyond, you know, any, any sort of like this. It's just sort of an acknowledgement of the presence of other people. Mm-hmm. And you have, to, you have to acknowledge that, and you have to be nice to them. I mean, there's, he goes, you know, all this, this negativity in the world doesn't do anything. Um, you know, it, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't do anything useful. And we have to fight that, and fight that by by being positive about our lives, by being nice to each other. And, I mean, he said it in a bunch of different ways. And he said, you know, there, there's lots of religions out there, but one of the, the goal of just about every religion out there is an attempt to be nice to each other. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's what, the golden rule, right? You know, do, you know, if something is, is hateful to you, don't do it to anybody else. Or, you know, yeah, treat others how you want to be treated. Like, yeah. I mean that that certainly that proposition has been um, leveled before, but I mean, what, mm-hmm. is there anything particularly different about his take on it? Um, it's interesting because he doesn't he doesn't prepare speeches; he just gets out and talks. Hmm. Um, that's sort of the way he does things, um, and he sort of he, he has a, he has an organization to it, and he sort of talks about how we have these sort of different levels of ethics. Um, you know, you have your, your kind of your top level of ethics that a lot of ethics come from, morals, ethics, things come, come from religion. Um, and it goes, and there's sort of a, a secondary level that doesn't come from religion. It sort of comes from this interaction between people and this sort of, this acknowledgement that other people exist in, in sort of a blatant <laughs> terms. And again, I'm not doing him nearly enough justice because he's the Dalai Lama yeah. and I'm a guy on my couch. Um, although he was on a couch too, but he was Dalai Lama on a couch, so you know. Um, and then there's sort of this third level 
um, which is, is sort of an acknowledgement of just life in general, animals, plants, things like that. And there's a level of ethics that come out of that as well. Um, and so he really didn't talk about religion much, although some people asked him questions and were kind of trying to get him to talk about that. But he was he was kind of on the same thing. It's like, religions aren't aren't the big point of this. The point is being nice. And when you really get down to it, that's what a lot of religions say. Now, there yeah. are people who have, who have taken religion and made them and, and used them to say other things, but that isn't really the goal of those religions. That's that's a twisting of the situation. Um, one thing he talked about that was kind of interesting that I think you might appreciate, Stephen, is that he talked about atheism um, and sort of said, you know, that it's, you know, we, we can't disrespect atheists because they don't believe in a god. That's not, you know, they're just as much people, and they've, they atheism as a religion as such, you know, is a, is a set of beliefs based on what have you. And he says, you know, they have just as much right as those who do follow a religion. Oh, well, I, I appreciate the sentiment that, that atheists are people, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, hey, there, there are people who don't think that. <laughs> oh, I've, I've met such people. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so, I mean, so that was a big part of his thing. Um, he talked a little bit about, um, you know, sort of letting people keep their own religion and not fighting about it. And saying, okay, you're a Buddhist, or okay, you're a Christian, or okay, you're a Muslim, or you know, you're Hindu, or whatever, and, and saying that's cool, and you know, the sort of the efforts of conversion aren't really shouldn't really be the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he told a funny story um, about a woman, and I I don't know where it is, who had who had been taken care of. She'd had a lot of trouble in her life and been taken care of by Christian minister uh, missionaries. Um, and he apparently was was talking to her at one point, and and she goes, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a Christian in this life. I'll be a Buddhist in the next one. Huh. Um, <laughs> interesting. Which is yeah, it's sort of an interesting thing. And so that was sort of his thing. It's like you know, it's like Christians around the world have done lots of things. They're everywhere. They're great about educating people and and helping people out and doing lots of great things. He goes. The missionary stuff is a little trickier, but, you know, a lot of the stuff they do is really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you've got to let people be the religion they want to be. Uh, so that was, that was interesting. But uh, the, general, the general thing was this, this message of compassion. And it's not a new thing. And it's not, you know, a big, crazy idea. But even so, hearing someone with, with as much, you know grace and understanding of the world and, and someone who's dedicated his life to just say it again with with the presence that he has is certainly a good thing. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, it certainly seems to have had an Im- impression on you or made an impression on you, Kevin. So Yeah, it did. Um, and hopefully it, it made an impression on the other 10,000 people in the room there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure at least a few of them got something out of it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, I think that was really cool. Do you have any idea why he, uh, why he chose Miami University to come speak? <laughs> Is he on um, like, a, like a pseudo Ivy League tour of the United States or something? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is what he does. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe someone um, – we, we have a bit of a connection to Tibet. Miami University does. Uh-huh. I don't know exactly what it is. 
Um, I know well, there is the, something. The article mentioned, um, I don't have it in front of me anymore, but the article mentioned that there's some sort of um, uh, Maya Amia project or something that... Uh, that, that Miami University is is heading up, and it's a, it has something to do with um, the members of the Miami tribe that are still there, sort of preserving uh, Tibetan culture uh, in some sort of a website form. Yeah, they, something they like, it, something at, like that. At some point, that. he put on 3D glasses and like looked at their websites or something. <laughs> like, well, this was not at the speech, so I don't know oh, about that. Okay. <laughs> Um, maybe, so maybe the article I read was not about the speech itself. Well, I mean, he was he was here for a couple of days. He did a couple other things. He was in Cincinnati for a day or so. Um, so he's been he's been doing things um, at here at Miami for the week he was here. Um, they they created a sand mandala, which you can go Wikipedia. But basically, oh, it I is, know what it, it is. is a, yeah. Okay, well, our listeners can yeah, go so Wikipedia. It, well, let's go into it. Yeah. Um, but it's it is briefly, you know, a a an artistic thing painting <laughs> made out of sand um, that is that is very meticulous, and they work on it, you know, eight hours a day, and sort of construct it and and color the sand. And it looks it looks beautiful. It's it looks like a painting, um, and they work on it for a week and they complete it. And there's a ceremony at the beginning, and then a ceremony at the end where they wipe it away. Yeah, and then take the sands and then put them into a, a body of water, um, with with the intent of using the energies that were cre- used to create it to then heal the earth. Hmm. Um, and so I went and watched them work on that one of the days. It was open to the public, you know, eight hours a day where you could go watch them. Which is a, it's watching them do that's a pretty interesting thing in and of itself. Um, I didn't get to make it to the uh, closing ceremony where they wipe it away, but it's one of those things that you just. It's kind of a thing that makes you sit back and think. They spend a week working on this, you know, so diligently, and then just push it away, and it's so fragile, and it's gone. Yeah, I mean, the, the I remember us, us talking about this in one of the uh, one of the the uh, Asian philosophy classes. It, yeah. The idea is to to kind of demonstrate the the Buddhist principle of of impermanence, um, mm-hmm. the the kind of you know the changing dynamic nature of the universe, and uh, the the fact that you know even uh, you know all of our efforts everything that we might put our 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 heart and soul into will ultimately be washed away at some point yeah. so um you know by kind of doing that process and and demonstrating it in that in such a way it's it is a reminder that you know nothing is permanent that everything fades that everything is cyclical you know, mm-hmm. hence hence the the circle and the segments and i i know there's a lot yeah. there's a lot more symbolism in it than just that but i mean the real idea is is demonstrating impermanence mm-hmm. which is really cool i mean it's you know i and we we sort of talked about this on the, the last episode where you were actually in person at texas tech where you know yeah. we have we have sort of this um you know this this respect for for the asian values and concepts as a western culture uh, without maybe fully understanding them uh, ourselves, or, or you know, realizing that they that they stand oftentimes in opposition to uh, common commonly held Christian values, um, mm-hmm. or you know, Western religious values uh, in our culture, you know. But there's there's sort of these lofty you know high ideals to us that we we kind of you know hold put up there on a pedestal. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, you know, as much as as much as I can, kind of, you know, I appreciate what the Dalai Lama is saying and doing. 
I feel like he's sort of milking that that pedestal a little bit too, you know. Well, I mean, maybe, but he travels all over the world. Yeah, um, yeah. It's I mean, certainly not that, a Western thing. Yeah, he goes. I mean, he's he's based in India because that's where he went when he was exiled. Um, and so, I mean, he has a lot of stuff there, but it's it's a thing where I think I suspect just from the the kind of guy he seems to be, that he, he does this everywhere. And it's the same sort of thing. Um, but I, I have trouble believing there's not an earnest... I have trouble believing the man isn't as earnest as he seems to be. Okay. Um, he's... He's got a sense of humor um, that, that is something that I have not seen in other, not that there are many, other... Um, religious leaders of his stature, or leaders of his statue, statue, stature, um, in the world. I mean, he he laughs, he jokes. Um, he's, but that is—I I don't know. I, can you imagine the Pope laughing and joking? I mean, it's <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, that's it. I mean, but but that's kind of. He, I mean, that that isn't that sort of an indicator of the the principles of the religion, though. I think I think it's an indicator of the principles of his message, his being mm. the Dalai Lama, of being a positive person with a good outlook and being nice and compassionate to other people. I think that's what that comes out of. Hmm. Um, just, I mean, that's, that's my take on it. Um, but, I mean, the Catholic Church doesn't exactly have a history of being a positive outlook sort of situation. <laughs> To put it mildly. Um, <laughs> to put it mildly. You know, I, I'm trying to be positive about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, um, you know, and, bringing and, it back to, we, we were discussing uh, Neil Stevenson's Baroque cycle a little bit before the show. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, the, the Catholic Church and the, the influences there are factor pretty prominently in this, you know, the 16, late 1600s, <laughs> early 1700s period that he's talking about. And it's, you know, it's very much a force. I mean, it's not anymore so much a force in a political sense, but it's, uh, it's certainly a force in an intellectual sense, and uh, mm-hmm. you know it's very much a <laughs> it's very much a dominating kind of a religion. Uh, you know, Buddhism doesn't doesn't really have that that vibe. You know, no. Well, the Tibetan yes. monks, when they were in charge of Tibet, were kind of a similar force. Ah, really? Yeah, they they were known for being quite cruel. Um, actually, they. Uh, they were, when they were still in charge, the Tibetan people were kept in poverty and the monks got everything, uh, much like the church in the 1600s or whatever. But, um, and they were known for, you know, brutally torturing any dissidents. And so, I mean, it's, it, it wasn't, it wasn't all happiness and light, you know, and I agree that the, that the Dalai Lama, when he comes and speaks, you know, seems to be like this, you know, happy, jolly, wise little Asian man. But um, the things that were carried out under the, the rule of the monks in Tibet were, were not, you know, happy, jolly times, you know, everyone just didn't hold hands and sing the Buddhist version of Kumbaya or whatever. I mean, it was, it was kind of a, a brutal, really brutal regime. So. Hmm. I wonder if things are much better under the Chinese. You know, I, I don't really know. And, and that's the problem, but it's, yeah. they weren't great under the, 
the monk regime either, you know, so. And this is, you know, I, I, as much as, you know, as much as we can get enraptured by these, by, you know, gurus and, and, you know, icons like the Dalai Lama, you really, I mean, you have to remember, it's kind of his own message, right? We're all human. Um, yeah. And humans tend to, tend to not be perfect and, you know, tend to, uh, tend to err and unfortunately, occasionally tend toward cruelty, you know, still up for debate whether we tend more toward cruelty or kindness, but, uh, I see. the Dalai Lama would say that we tend more towards kindness. He had a good point about that. I don't remember how he put it, but it, it made a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, that was that was his ta- his argument on it. So if I, if I can pretend to try and speak for him for all of two seconds, <laughs> like that would really happen. Well, um, I mean, I, I kind of do still envy you, Kevin, for for getting to to see him. I mean, that's it's sort of like seeing you know, I'm you know trying to to think of parallels, but you know, one of those folks who's going to be in the history books for for quite some time. Well, yeah, um, and and the thing of it is, is you know. In equal measure, I would have gone to see the Pope with with equal reverence, and I think it would have been a different experience. Um, but you know, it's it's an opportunity that I didn't think could be missed, and so yeah. I didn't. Well, cool. Um, yeah. I mean, did you have any uh, any other thoughts on it, uh, either of y'all? Because I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about Facebook. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I will say. Screw the Dalai Lama. It's seen, Facebook time. I have Does never it? seen ten thousand people leave an auditorium so quietly and organized. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's virtuous, I guess. It's it's something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm curious. So here's, here's the best I can do for a segue. Do you think the Dalai Lama has a Facebook page? I don't know, but he is on Twitter. Yeah. Cause I'd, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to like him. <laughs> I, I totally follow him on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I think he is on Twitter, but I don't know if it's actually him who no, tweets. He is on Twitter. I, oh. I, I've read, I'm, I'm assuming it's him. He's verified. He's verified, um, but I, I'm pretty sure it's not him personally that, that tweets every single one. It's sort of like Barack Obama, you know. It, it may be, you know, stuff inspired by him or, you know, little quotes from his books. Stuff or he said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and he, well, he kind of signs off on it. I can tell you that the Dalai Lama does indeed have an official Facebook page. He is liked by over one million people. Woo! <laughs> well, so you wouldn't be the first. Still, still a very small percentage of the world, but a pretty, well, I guess even... Relative to the Facebook population, not a huge percentage. Hmm. Well, anyway, I think there are more people who like the Dalai Lama that just haven't liked him on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that, that's sort of true <laughs> about everything. I, just like I'm sure there are more people who like this show that haven't liked us on Facebook yet. Yeah, <clears> get on <throat> that, everybody who listens to this show. Right. Uh, you know, I kind of knew to need to figure out how to put a, a like button on our page. It's uh, you know on our web web page. Yeah. It's just you know. Well, okay. So, so last episode, I think we we talked about uh, the Facebook movie, and we mentioned sort of the. Um, I, I think it was it was myself. Uh, you know, I was kind of wishing for um, Facebooks within Facebook. You know, uh, sub sub networks within uh, the the overall platform of Facebook. And lo and behold, a few days after we had that episode, they come out with uh, Facebook groups. 
Um, now, of course, the, the tech community's news cycle has moved on from this little phenomenon, but, uh, you know, now I that... I don't know what this is. Uh, so have you not, have you not uh, played around with this yet, Kevin? Uh, there's a thing that's set up that said create group, but I've right. already... I've been in Facebook groups since I joined Facebook. Yeah, I'm so probably this still is, a member of thousands of them. And, and this is so, really, it's so odd why oh, they made sure. this choice. Uh, because these new, these new groups work differently from existing groups. Um, you know, the idea of a Facebook group in the past was sort of like what turned into a fan page. You know, it was bringing people together yeah. around kind of an idea or a, a show or a concept, something. Um, mm -hmm. and so that kind of, that kind of evolved into what we now know as, as like pages. Uh, but Facebook groups, the, or the ones that they, they launched a couple weeks back are more like, uh, they're more like a more useful version of, uh, friend groups. Uh, so like you used to be able to create kind of categories of friends and, you know, they each had their own individual news feed and, uh, you could control privacy settings for each group for each friend group these new groups are essentially like you know a cross section or, or like a cross between an email list and a a sub social network within facebook because what what you do essentially is um, anybody can create a group anybody can invite any of their friends into that group uh, and here's the big kind of kicker without those friends having to approve them to be in that group so you can essentially group people in you know, a semi-public fashion without their direct approval. I mean, obviously anyone Have can... Have I been can, grouped? Did you maybe, group me, Steven? I, I haven't grouped you. You would know. You'd start okay. getting emails about I would know. group okay. activity. Um, and I have not been grouped by anybody. Yeah, I mean, this was another kind of odd decision. Like, by default, you start getting emails every time something happens in a group somebody adds you to. <laughs> Unless you huh. opt out. Um, and the opt-out button is kind of well hidden. First but, of all, Facebook is terrible about that. You should opt, you should be able to opt in. You not be forced to opt out. Facebook it, has done this in the past repeatedly, and it drives me crazy. Well, continue. And I, you know, I, I agree, but I know I also see their reasoning behind it, which is let's let as many people as possible know that we have this thing going on, and then let them decide not to participate in it, rather than have it. You know, be dis possibly discovered. You know, it, it, it ensures discovery but if they, rather than. But when that thing changes the way Facebook does things with my information, shouldn't uh, I be? It, I, it, I shouldn't be said. Well, you can get out of it if you want, but we may not even tell you about it because I don't even know what Facebook groups is because there was no announcement. There was just a new button on my homepage. There was there was sort of an announcement. I mean, but it wasn't it it, it wasn't really. There was a press conference, but there wasn't a an announcement that appeared on everybody's page. Um, it just That's sort of point. yeah yeah, um, but the way that that groups work essentially is you have you have everybody inside of a group and uh, you have like three levels of privacy. They're either uh, completely hidden, uh, invite only, or public. Uh, public groups anybody can join. Um, uh, invite only is kind of self-explanatory, but the member list is public, and then uh, hidden nobody can even see the member list. Uh, and the idea behind uh, putting everyone in a group is y'all have sort of this, it's like a private discussion forum for just the people that are inside that group. So if you post a message, everybody who's within that group sees a notification about it. Um, you can have threaded conversations in there. You can kind of collaborate on documents, uh, post photos. Um, so it's I, Google Wave? Mm, not exactly. Um, it's but it's well, it's sort of like Google Wave, but within Facebook, which is kind of what Wave needed to be to be useful. 
because here everybody's already a member. All you have to do is add your friends. Um, so what I did, for instance, is uh, my the store that I work at, the Apple Store. One of my uh, coworkers there created a group for the store. Uh, about a third of the people uh, in the store have joined. Uh, probably most of the folks that are on Facebook have joined it. And uh, it's kind of a way for us to have a community bulletin board. So if someone's trying to get folks together to go to a movie, uh, we just post on there. Everybody sees it. Folks can join. Um, and it's, it doesn't clutter up our public friend streams uh, because all of this activity is group only. Uh, so it's very useful in that sense for kind of, you know, creating a sub-community for a very specific purpose. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a good idea, and it's, and it's something that I've wanted to see in Facebook for a very long, long time. <laughs> uh, but I was kind of curious what y'all thought of the, uh, of the concept. Well, I think it's interesting. Oh, go ahead, Kiki. You probably have something more interesting to say than me. Well, not really. I mean, I just was saying that I, I'm I'm only a member of one group of the new type, um, which one of my cousins created a group for our family, uh, which is kind of silly because it's pretty much dead because there's a reason we don't talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of hate to say that, but, you know, there's – there's like, you know, subgroups within the family and like they talk to each other, but it's kind of like, you know, we, we didn't really need Facebook. It, it wasn't like we didn't have a way to talk to each other. It's just that we don't really have anything to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of yet another useless thing. But. And Kevin? I say, I, I, I don't know about the functionality of it because. I don't know what people are like your workplace group makes some sense, but there's not groups of people that are that are big enough that I'm in that are big enough to need a group like this um, that I just cause, that I couldn't you know call on my own or send a text to or an email or meet up with so which I think and, and I, I think maybe my my equation or my equating it to Google Wave might be apropos because Wave seemed like a really neat idea at the time, and then it folded. Yeah, because <laughs> it didn't. It really didn't do anything new. It tried to do a lot of things differently, but it didn't really do anything that hadn't been done somewhere else before. Uh, and and, and with, here's the deal: like, I don't think groups does anything particularly new either. It just does them in a different way on Facebook that's possibly more useful. Because um, remember, the initial impetus behind my kind of <laughs> lamenting the lack of such a feature in Facebook was uh, how big Facebook has become. You know, and it initially was mm-hmm. meant to be a, a digital, uh, you know, actualization of the, the social experience of college and kind of the words of Mark Zuckerberg from the movie. Uh, and so yeah. this, but then it grew to be more of like an actualization of just the experience of life, <laughs> it, it, mm-hmm. but a bad, a bad actualization because, you know, all of our social circles don't normally mix on such a frequent basis as they appear to in Facebook. So these new groups are sort of ways of, of going back to that initial usefulness of Facebook and going, you know, I have my, I have my college buddies in this group. 
and then I have my, uh, you know, maybe my out of outside of college friends or high school friends in this group. Uh, I have my folks that I met on this forum in this group. And then we can all have our own conversations, our own streams, our own interactions, separate, um, but still, you know, within the overall context of Facebook. Um, yeah. And so, in that in that sense, I think it makes it makes quite a bit of of, of sense for for Facebook to do something like that. I can see it. I mean, maybe if I get into a group that's useful and I get a lot out of it, maybe I'll, I'll have a stronger opinion on it. But right now, it's just sort of like there's a new button on my page and nobody told me what it does. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook has an unfortunate habit of doing that too, uh, and it's still not a very designed, well designed site. Period. Um, and no. A lot of a lot of people have have lamented that, but it is just such a huge site that it's very difficult to change anything without you know millions of people getting up in arms <laughs> about it, <laughs> uh, even if it's changed for the better. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring that up and and see how y'all what y'all thought of that uh, that new feature. Um, and then uh, I don't know. I kind of wanted to talk about the uh, the Google automated car a little bit uh, but I have to say uh, This Week in Google and, and This Week in Tech both did fantastic I, admittedly even philosophical uh, analyses on the whole situation <laughs> so I don't know if there's much more we can say without, uh, without just parroting them but um, I, I kind of wanted to get y'all's opinion on it so y'all have seen the articles right? Nope. Okay. I've, <laughs> I've seen that there are articles. <laughs> but Kiki you have? Yeah, I have. Um, okay, so I guess just briefly to to bring you up to speed, Kevin. Um, Google has been testing uh, fully automated uh, Priuses for about the uh, the last three four years using guys from the uh, the DARPA Grand Challenge, um, and they have gotten to the point where they could well they've they've driven one hundred forty thousand miles with some level of automation and a thousand miles with absolutely no human control whatsoever. Uh, the a thousand system, miles continuously, or a thousand miles total. in twenty feet gr- groupings. Uh, you know, we we don't know how it broke down, but a thousand a thousand miles total cumulative. Uh, you know, with okay. the person at the wheel, obviously, you know, able to to disable the system at any point, but with the car essentially driving itself. And the only accident over that entire period of time that any of the cars got into was when somebody else rear-ended one of the cars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. I love that bet. That's pretty yeah. impressive. I will it, admit. it is. It is, and and all of this without any sort of road modifications whatsoever. I mean, the the cars are have onboard computers, uh, an onboard lidar kind of mounted on the top on this this very very odd little a- apparatus, basically spinning extremely fast and taking uh, real time images of of the space around them, kind of sort of like the snow crash uh, short range radar. Um, and and essentially mapping everything around it and making decisions about the various objects and uh, you know the cars do a very good job of uh of driving themselves and uh it's kind of a, a proof of concept that this technology really is at a point where it could be commercially viable within a decade uh and so it's you know a lot of people are starting to ask questions now of well you know what if somebody starts making these cars you know is is anyone going to drive them uh, you know how how are we going to to feel about having automated vehicles on the roads uh, you know the big argument for them is they'll make things safer but some arguments against are i don't know robots <laughs> you know well, they, as they long can't... as it doesn't oh turn God, into the johnny nice. cab from total recall i'll probably be okay with it <laughs> 
Johnny Cab is one of the creepiest automated cars I've ever seen in my life. So, I'm sticking with that. As long as I don't put a talking mannequin in the front seat, I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be just a little bit too creepy. Uh, what, Kiki? Well, it's just, when I, when I first heard this story, I was um, hanging out with my best friend, and he he came, he said something really great, which was that, you know, pretty soon there's probably going to be, like, all this backlash attempt at legislation to, you know, stop this from happening because, oh, my God, technology. You know, and he was, he was basically saying that every time we come up with, like, a really great leap in technology, which could really help push us forward, there's all this, you know, anti-science backlash that immediately seeks to squash it. So his his question was kind of, you know, how long is it going to take them to start, you know, they're trying to, you know, force us all to be driven around by robots that are going to kill our babies and, you know, whatever stupid crap they come up with. Yeah, I mean, the, to do that. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, and, and that's that's kind of the, the unfortunate argument that a couple of folks brought up is, uh, you know, 40,000 people die every year from traffic accidents. Um, if one person dies because of one of these automated vehicles malfunctioning, every that's the end of the program. I mean, that, yeah. that's just, that's it. You know, but we don't... But what uh, if one person is saved by the cars? Well, it's quite a bit harder to measure that kind of a figure. Yeah. But, you know, it, it would be measured in terms of, uh, you know, fewer people dying each year uh, yeah. in, in accidents overall. But unfortunately, we're very much, <laughs> as, as you've seen on the news very often recently, we're very trained to, uh, to generalize from a single case to all of the cases, <laughs> which is, yeah. of course, bad science, bad mathematics, bad reasoning, everything. But popular media. <laughs> but yeah, popular media. Um, going, going back, just cycling back to one thing. Sure. Um, the Dalai Lama called out popular media for um, keeping this, this heightened negativity. Well, um, duh. <laughs> well, I know. It was, it, was, it was one of those well-duh moments, but it was nice because he, you know, he goes, you know, the media is a big part of this. <laughs> yeah. The media is um, part of the problem. Guarantee you someone inside Fox News has probably considered running the Dalai Lama is a possible terrorist, question mark, story at some point or other, and uh, <laughs> they're just waiting to pull the trigger on it, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's not just Fox well, News we've, though we've already trained terrorists for the Dalai Lama the, our, our government actually gave money, the CIA gave money to basically Tibetan quote unquote freedom fighters hmm. uh, for a while that we were training you know monks and stuff over here to basically go back to Tibet and fight the Chinese for a long time until the uh, until someone let the news slip and they kind of had to be like, no, we're not training monks to go in there and fight people. We're nice, calm Buddhists who don't, you know, fight things. You know, like yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, we've already we've already done that on their behalf to go fight in Tibet. So. So I, you know, and getting back to the the cars thing, though. I mean, I, I just. I feel like we would react sort of similarly to the whole uh, terrorist speculation thing to uh, 
you know, Google is already kind of on thin ice on a number of fronts, <laughs> and, uh, and for them to to be developing this technology and and see, you know, they're not they're not obviously suggesting immediate commercial implementation, but it's it's they've proven that it can be done. Um, yeah, you know, people are gonna are gonna ask questions, you know, and as that famous South Park episode goes, you know, I'm just asking questions, but. <laughs> uh, questions can be can be damaging in and of themselves, um, more damaging than statements oftentimes. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, there's not a lot we can say philosophically on this. I think it just it shows that, and this this is something they brought up on Twitter as well. It's just really cool that we're we're actually considering these issues in more than just a science fiction context. You know, yeah. like these are actually. These are philosophical issues that we're starting to grapple with in our lifetimes, in our twenties. Nay, <laughs> I mean, yeah. this is that's just how fast the world is is moving. Um, but I think, you know, I think y'all are right. As soon as this starts getting to a commercial uh, level, there's going to be a backlash. Uh, you know, even without the deaths, you know, even if it's proven to be perfectly safe, they're going to come up with some sort of an argument. You know, they're going to bring up kids and, like I said, babies, and <laughs> it's, yeah, it's going to be that's, messy. That's just a problem with politics in general is, you know, the, the but think of the children argument. Right. It just drives me crazy. Now, um, thank goodness it hasn't been terribly successful in terms of, uh, of the Internet. You know, there's been, there have been uh, politicians angling for Internet regulation because of quote-unquote kiddie porn for 10 years, uh, and, you know, the Internet chugs onward i mean <laughs> uh yeah. we've managed to resist the um we've managed to resist the idiots so far uh but on this issue it's it's hard to say i mean uh i i for one would you know get an automated car in a heartbeat because good god you know i i waste you know large portions of my life you know managing an automobile doing tasks that could easily be done by a computer um <laughs> and you know i could i can be I using that easily, time but it... well pfft, if I could spend is, that time twittering, damn it. I could, <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I'm spending the time reading for now, but, you know, I could spend that time being productive in other ways. So, And I, and I think just overall it can solve a lot of the transportation issues that we're, we're about to see here in the next 20 or 30 years. I mean, our our infrastructure is not ready for the population growth that we're, we're uh, already experiencing. Um and, you know, people are talking about just building more roads, but, you know, more roads just means more traffic jams. And uh, I think it's going to take a revolution like this automated car technology to use our existing infrastructure in a more efficient way uh, to really solve that problem. Well, the thing that I first thought of was think how amazing this technology would be for the handicapped. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean you know, anyone who's drive. got difficulty, you know... <laughs> <clears throat> anybody who's got difficulty driving from vision problems to, you know, amputees mm -hmm. or, you know, people who are too short or too tall or too, you know, whatever to, you know, that they have to have all these modifications done just to be able to operate a traditional automobile, mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, this, this could, you know, have them be able to get a car without having to pay, you know, for all these, all these differences or, you know, to take a cab everywhere, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree totally. I mean, and it turns, it almost turns all transportation into public transportation in the sense of 
it being, you know, imagine like it, not, not exactly that the cab you described from Total Recall, but, you know, cabs that you can literally call, like, you know, <laughs> this, this, there's a German company that, that demonstrated this technology. They built an iPad app that allows you to call a car, the, the car comes to you, you give it a destination, and it drives you to the destination. I mean, that's, and, that, and this is demonstrated technology currently. Like then, really, the idea of owning a vehicle becomes kind of uh, antiquated because you know why? Why do you need a car sitting in your garage when you're not using it? Like that car could be ferrying somebody else some somewhere. You know that that vehicle can be used constantly rather than maybe a third of the time in the day. But I use yeah. my car to keep so much crap. <laughs> I mean, where would I put all of that? I, you know, and, and there were, that's the thing. Okay, there will always be people who just like driving, who just want to have oh, cars I love and, drive. And, and drive themselves else, you know, anywhere. Well, the cars will still be able to do that. I mean, there, there's no, there's no um, like, locking mechanism that will keep you from uh, disabling the technology. Uh, and, and, and the great thing is these systems... That would systems, be kind of creepy. Yeah, it would. But imagine this, like insurance companies might actually penalize you for not letting the car drive <laughs> if it's proven to I be, you know, a safer scenario uh, to have yeah. the, the car driving itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing is this technology doesn't have to, it can work with people driving their own cars with or with cars driving themselves. It's, it's completely mm-hmm. ambivalent to what the objects are doing. Well, you know, I got to just say, you know, you were talking about like, oh, it's great that in our 20s we're talking about this kind of thing. And I was just thinking, you know, like the first time I used a computer, you know, it was it was using DOS, you yeah. know, and it was like, you know, command With line. With the black and green screen. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it was it was command lines and you had to know, you know, precisely the syntax to enter and everything. And yeah. um just this past week, uh, my best friend has a droid, and his new favorite thing is the Google Voice app for Droid, where you can just speak in whatever you want it to do. Yeah, and yeah. it will do it. And you know, um, you know, navigate to a whatever, call the pizza place nearest me, or <laughs> and you yeah. can you can just say stuff like that, and it will automatically do it. And he was kind of showing this off at a convention we were at. And, you know, I really got to thinking of, like, wow, from the point where I first saw a computer to being able to have a handheld device that you just tell it to do crap and it does it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of cliche, but we live in the future. We do yeah, live we in the really future. <laughs> but, you know, and, and you kind of wonder, like, if we, if we can stop this anti-technology, anti-science backlash in, you know, politics right now like you know could we really see like something like the singularity in our lifetimes or you know like what could we see in our lifetimes if we just stopped this fear of technology and science so what you was know? uh what was with uh, the mythbusters and bill nye at the white house what was up with that did y'all see it, it? was for the it was for the um national science fair oh okay gotcha Yes, I, I saw some tweets about that from Adam Savage and, and others. Uh, that, that did you see you know, the? Uh, did you see the hilarious picture of them 
and President Obama in the white in like the library of the White House. No, no. Uh, like there was there was a picture that they that they sent out the official picture, and it's fine. It's like the, it's Jamie and Adam and Obama in a library, but then there is a a edited version of the picture. Um, yeah, I don't have a link right now, but uh, I'll find it. Okay. Um, uh, there's an edited version of it where um, it, they've got speech bubbles on it. And it's Jamie or Adam, I don't remember which one. It goes, are you a Muslim? And then Obama's speech bubble says, no. And they have the busted, like, in the bottom. <laughs> busted. Oh, which is great. great. Yeah. <laughs> are you a Muslim? No. Busted. <laughs> See what we get when busted. we ask questions? <laughs> right? Hey, it makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. uh, but as we know, humans are uh, are a lot more difficult to figure out than um, explosions. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like explosions. They're shiny. Yeah, uh, but no, I, I definitely agree with you, Kiki, and I and I think that is kind of that's kind of an indication that we're moving that direction. You know, we're 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 actually not quite as as um, as negative on technology as we used to be as as a political. Uh, group, um, but you know, I certainly do see the the um, the possibilities because we're still, you know, there, there's sort of a bifurcation of this this generation. I see there, there's the folks like us that are really embracing technology, really living in it. Um, but I see a lot of folks, even my age, who you know, they have these tools, they have iPhones, they're on Facebook, they have computers, but they're not really, you know, it's almost it's not not illiterate, but they they're just not um, of that culture, you know. They don't embrace technology as as a potential. They they just it's sort of something that they have to have. Like you know, a math class required a calculator, so you got one. Um, and that's those are the folks that I kind of fear because it, it needs to be. We need to present a unified front if we're going to see these technologies really advance and flourish. Uh, and and if half of us or you know more than half of us are apathetic about it you know more more than half of our generation no less is apathetic about technology you know we're just not going to see it we're not going to see it happen yeah and it's just you know you see things where where people are like you know oh stem cells that's weird so we're automatically going to you know and that's another one. There's think of the children, you know. It's like yeah. shut up, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know. But well, but we can get them from other places now, so that argument's moot. <laughs> yeah, but it's you know, and even down to things like, oh my God, why are we teaching people evolution? You know, like, and I was I was raised in that kind of environment. You know, when I when I went to public school for the first time. I had, I had been going to Christian schools or being homeschooled, and when I went to public school the first time, my mother basically told me not to listen to my science teachers because they were going to try to tell me evolution was real. <laughs> you know, and it's just, you know, I look back on that now, and it's just, you know, facepalm, but... I think at, at no time before now have we ever been more empowered to make decisions on our own. You know, it, it, information is a Google search away. Uh, you know, all the opinions and all the uh, all the data in the world is accessible to us to, in order to make decisions on any given subject. And, you know, within reason. And, and it's 
really frightening how few people actually take advantage of that um, that capability, you know? Yeah, I mean, because a lot of people would still rather someone else tell them what to think about. Exactly. You know, they'd rather have, you know, Glenn Beck or Michael Moore or, you know, whoever tell yeah. them that, yeah, I, I don't know which one you were groaning at, but both are groan-worthy to me. Well, both <laughs> are groan-worthy, but I've, I, Michael Moore is one of those people that I just wish would fall off the planet. Yeah, like, and, and, and I'm I okay if Glenn Beck just shuts up, but I want Michael Moore to fall off the planet. My problem with Michael Moore is I agree with about 95% of what he says, but I just hate propaganda on either side. Well, you know, he's a liar. Like, 95% like, of what he says is a lie. Well, that's, that's the propaganda part. I mean, it's like when you, <laughs> when you say things like, you know, okay, we need better health care. That's great. I agree with that. But we don't need propaganda to get better health care. Yeah. We need facts. You know, so, it's so, like, back, so back on sort of a more positive note, thank the flying <laughs> spaghetti monster for people like Jon Stewart, right? Yeah. <laughs> and for, for him having a, a rally on the same order of magnitude, hopefully on a, on a higher order of magnitude than uh, Glenn Beck's, uh, coming up here just in, in a week. Uh, I so wish I could have gone to it, but uh, thank if, you know goodness that, that Comedy Central is streaming it. <laughs> if I pull a string, I might be able to get somebody who's actually there. Ah, uh, that'd be awesome. Um, so I'll I'll see if I can do that. Because um, I know someone who is going. Okay. I don't know how she feels about the podcasting internet tubes. Well, but. let's bring her into the fold and show her it's not that scary of a world. <laughs> uh, and, and thank goodness for people like... Um, this was the most amazing interaction I've had um, at the at the Apple Store so far, and uh, it, it kind of provided a ray of hope for me personally. This this kid came in, um, and and I say kid literally. He was probably ten or eleven years old at the most. Um, brought his MacBook in. Um, with, he was there with his mom, but his mom just sort of stood in the background and texted. He brought the computer into the Genius Bar had the complete Genius Bar interaction on his own with his mom just sort of watching, making sure he didn't run away. The kid understood <laughs> everything from start to finish about what was wrong. He described the problem. Uh, he went through the, the very detailed technical explanation with uh, the genius there and you know, followed every word of it. Um, followed, he, he made the decision uh, about whether to do the repair or not. Uh, because apparently the kid has a very generous allowance and has his own money or something. I don't know. Maybe he's making <laughs> his own money. I don't know. But he had his own money to spend and decided not to on the repair. Um, huh. And then afterwards uh, decided to go look at the, the new MacBook Airs that, that everybody's fawning about uh, in the store. And so I, I was kind of off the clock, and I was playing around with one myself. And he's you know standing at the next one playing around with this, and just he's just in awe. Of everything, and he's like, "Oh my God, this is so cool!" And I mean, it has the flash memory, and look how thin it is. And it, like, he he knew every <laughs> single fact about the system. Like, he watched the keynote. He knew about Lion. He knew about the new uh, battery power inside of it. And he was like, just evangelizing this thing to his mom. Um, but from a really Nerd. knowledgeable, and I, and I just looked at him <laughs> and I went, "Dude, you rock." so much and so i like I, and i i just i brought him over and i showed him some stuff in iMovie and he was like oh this is so <laughs> cool and like he was asking me questions about it and um it was really just uh inspiring to me and i and i i was like okay this is good 
that there are people like this in the world that you know are are growing up having a real passion for this technology and uh you know to the same extent that I was passionate about Legos <laughs> at that age you know this kid already knew uh, he he probably knows as much as I do about these systems uh and that's mm -hmm. just fantastic so uh, you know I I'm hopeful for for the future generations because and it's going to take a couple of generations you know it's going to take a lot of us getting into politics you know where we normally wouldn't and uh and being that voice of reason <laughs> in the room uh yeah. and then opening up the world for the next generation of of kids growing up with with this technology from the beginning you know because we're still you know i guess we qualify as millennials we're still kind of on that that um we're straddling the old world and the new world you know we grew up mm -hmm. We were born in a world without the internet, and we sort of grew up with the internet itself, and are growing up with the internet. Um, but these yeah. kids are growing up with the internet in a very mature state, relatively. Yeah. So yeah, I'm uh, you know bringing it right around to the beginning. I can, uh, you know, I can definitely uh, appreciate the Dalai Lama's advice in that regard. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of positivity to be had in the world. Yeah. Maybe not about the singularity. I I don't know how to feel about that because. I, it, I don't. Did either of y'all see the IO9 article the other uh, week about it being sort of similar to to heaven concepts in traditional religion? Um, I saw it. I didn't read the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, worth a digression definitely at some point, and actually, I would say worth yeah. an episode. But um, I do want to yeah. leave some time here at the end maybe to talk about. Uh... Hmm. Well, go ahead. I say maybe we could tie it up with that article I sent you earlier in the past. Oh, uh, yeah. I, remind me what that was about again. I don't remember. <laughs> okay, well. Okay. Next episode, maybe. Yeah, next episode. Um, no, I want, did want to leave some time for the, uh, for the questions that came through uh, the, the form spring recently. And actually, we've had quite a few recently. So, uh, and we've been answering them on the, uh, on the website. And I, to my knowledge, there haven't been any new ones that we haven't answered yet. But um, I'll sign in and check real quick. Yeah. You know any any of those that that you want to highlight, Kevin? Uh... Um, I ended up giving what was a far more intimate uh, history of me and Scott Adams than I intended to. Yeah, I kind of I appreciated <laughs> your answer to that one, Good, and I and I totally knew that that was one that you would go for. Um, suffice it to say, people definitely check out the uh, check out formspring.me slash bad philosophy. Uh, you know, post your yeah. question there, and uh, we will answer it. We answer everything, and. Um, yeah. I, I'll ask y'all. Um, was I a little bit too uh, a little bit too tongue in cheek with my answer to the uh, to one of those? Yeah, you were a little tongue in cheek on one of them. Was okay. it the, um, <laughs> the the fan question of whether I was single and moving to Seattle. Well, yeah, moving to Washington. Or yeah, Washington, whatever. What? I don't know. I didn't was, see that one. Well, oh, somebody yeah. just asks, and and like honestly, I felt this question was directed at you. I mean, there was no. Oh, way I don't think there was a question. Me this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, the question was for the love of God, tell me you're single and moving to Washington sometime soon. And, oh. and Stephen, <laughs> in a, Stephen, in a way that is not dissimilar to ways that I've answered questions before, um, sort of tore the question apart before actually going to um, the answer, which is uh, yes, I am, and not likely. So yes, he is single, and no, he's not likely moving to Washington. Right. So um, although I did consider it uh, earlier this summer, but. Then some people yeah. that I'm working with now at the Apple Store have told me that Seattle is pretty much a more boring version of Austin, which <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, people okay. Yeah, people in Austin say that about everything. 
Nah, you know, <laughs> and it's really hard for me because I, I have kind of that grass is always greener outlook about everywhere else. Like, I know Austin. I've grown up in Austin. I've kind of seen most of what Austin provides. And, you know, I kind of want to experience other things. And I, I feel like other cities might be more interesting. But then again, I speak with people all the time who are like, oh, yeah, I lived in San Francisco for 10 years. Or I lived in Seattle or, you know, Syracuse, or all these other places. And, man, Austin is just better than all those places combined. <laughs> I'm like, well, great. We must have a really boring country then. <laughs> yeah. Well, Austin people are a strange breed anyway. Um, although <laughs> I, will, I do want to say that, you know, if somebody asked how much do we charge to perform – um, if you are if you are honestly interested in this, whoever anonymous person asked us, please get in touch. Yeah, because I, mean, I know I'm... Stephen. I know Stephen, and I know me, and I know whoever else you'd want to bring along would be really excited to perform like in front of a live audience. Uh, we would, uh, we've never done a live BF in front of an audience because, quite honestly, we've never had enough people in one place that cared about us to have a live yeah. show in that way. <laughs> um, but if we if you are interested. You know, I'm I'm sure we could come up with something reasonable. Um, you know, travel expenses plus a little extra for our time. Um, seriously, it'll be me and Stephen, and we'll pro- and if you really want, we can fly Kiki out or Jed or even go back in time and get Matt. Yeah. Uh, or all of them. You know, obviously the price goes up in that situation. But so you either get present day Kiki or Jed or. Matt from Matt. two years ago. <laughs> Matt yeah. from two years ago. Okay. Or, you know, hell, if you can afford it, just bring everybody. <laughs> but, 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 Matt, but Matt from two years ago will cost extra. Just yeah. Yes. Yeah, he uh, time expenses are not, time machines are expensive. <laughs> so oh, there's man. that. How, you know, how awesome would it be to, uh, to have every single person that's ever been on the show uh, in, one, in one show? I, it would be I, I really know awesome and it would really, be impossible. really stupid. <laughs> and, and probably impossible, too, because we, we have had quite a few different people yeah. on the show over the years. I say, I'd, I'd say if we could get all the regulars, like people who've been on at least three shows, then that would be pretty mm. sweet. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Because um, I, think, I think that might be able to bring Ju- uh, Julie in, because she's been on three, hasn't she? Yeah, but I think she's still in Korea, right? Or is she back from that? Uh, uh, she's back and forth. I don't know if she's there yeah. right now or not. But if you want to fly her in from Korea to perform with Bad Philosophy, by all means, do so. Anonymous or, you know, person get, one of those, uh, get one of those Cisco Yumi's uh, and, and have her bring her in by telepresence, which uh, might yeah, actually cost about the same amount. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a fancy video conferencing thing. But okay. anyways... Uh, but yeah, keep asking questions on the form spring. That's actually been been more fruitful than I expected it to be recently. So, and it's I it's like sort it of people ask questions. Yeah, and it's uh, and you know I've always thought about. Huh? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I was ahead. just going to say I, I always have a um, I've always had a desire to kind of have a blog uh, in conjunction with our podcast, and I think the yeah. this form spring account is sort of turning into that. You know, it gives us a chance to put put down words in text uh, mm-hmm. between episodes. I say if you, if you want Stephen or I to answer a question in particular, give some indication of that. Yeah. Otherwise, we just kind of go at it. Whoever gets on and answers the questions, like because um, a couple that you a- you answered, I didn't really want to answer, right? And so I left them to you. So, um, yeah, yeah. 
All right, folks. Well, it's been about an hour, so uh, we can go ahead and wrap up the show here. Um, yeah, feel free to uh, to post us questions on formspring.me slash badphilosophy, or, uh, you know, just ask us on, on questions on Twitter as well, uh, twitter.com slash badphilosophy, Kevson, Voice Akiki, and uh, S-Torrence, S-T-O-R-R-E-N-Z. Uh, we oh, thank and you I have something beautiful oh, 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 what, what, Kiki, what? <laughs> I just released a song, a Halloween song on uh, The Fump, which is uh, com, the funny music project, uh, called We're All Gonna Die. So, oh, cool. Well, uh, <laughs> maybe we'll use that as the post-show music. So. <laughs> Would you give us permission is, to do it that? Is, <laughs> it is It is a free download, pod safe under Creative Commons. So. Awesome. We always yeah. like our openness. So it'll be the first time we've had, you know, yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, I, I, I'm thinking of adding a Creative Commons license to our podcast, if it isn't already. I have one for the site, but I don't know if it technically applies to the podcast. I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean... By all means, if you want to take <laughs> stuff that we're saying and do funny things with it, <laughs> go you know, for it. Yes, I please say, you know, do that. That'd be awesome. You know, attribution, non-commercial. Yep. Share alike. <laughs> share alike. Yeah, there we go. I'm we've officially share done it. We've just said it. We, we once we've said it, it's official. So. Yep. <laughs> all righty, y'all. We'll uh... attribution, non-commercial, share alike. We'll let you get back to uh, to being nice to everybody in the world, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, do something positive today. And we'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. Oh, we didn't talk about Mandelbrot. Oh, we'll get oh. Next time. Well, here's the interesting He'll thing. still be dead the- next week. <laughs> My- is, that, is that harsh? Is that harsh? That's a little, yes. yeah. Too soon, man. Well, Too soon. The day that, that we got the news that he died. Um, I was at a convention in Ohio, and my best friend, uh, Rob Boulder, is kind of known for doing a lot of Jonathan Galton covers sometimes, and uh, one of the ones he's fond of doing is Mandelbrot set, and so the day we got it, he performed it at the convention, and got to the line, Mandelbrot's in heaven, and just stopped and bowed his head, and like everybody just broke yeah. the block. So punch a hole in your chest Or chop you in half Watching every drop of your drain You've got the body I've got the brain Oh my god
his body disappeared and I got the girl. To me, there is no equal. That's okay, kid. I'll just kill you in the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Bad philosophy dot com. It's really boring. <laughs>